Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you that are here, and it's good to be with you in spirit for those of you who are at home. Well, this morning we're going to be in uh, Colossians again, so go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be finishing up Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, And so we're going to start in verse 16. So if you're new to reading a Bible by any chance, uh, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the small numbers are the verse numbers. So we're going to be in Colossians, big number 2, and then in small 16. And we're going to go all the way from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. So if you're there, read along with me. Therefore, let no one pass a judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, would you pray with me one more time? Father, this is a weighty text And it's a weighty task to preach it. So Father, would you use me even in my inadequacy, even though I'm lacking wisdom, lacking knowledge. Father, you use your word to accomplish your purposes. And so Father, would you soften our hearts to your word this morning? Would we be willing to hear hard truths from your word? But Father, I also pray that we would be reminded of the freedom that we have in Christ this morning. That we would be reminded that we were once enslaved to our sin and the powers of this world. But Father, Christ has made us alive in him. You have done this through him. And so, Father, would we see that we are freed to love you and to love others? So, Father, would you use your word to remind us of those things this morning? So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this might seem kind of obvious to you, but it's a good thing to have power for your kitchen appliances. When Stephanie and I got married, we moved into an apartment that didn't have a microwave And so to fix the issue, we bought a toaster oven because they're the same thing. Not really. Yet, our kitchen doesn't really have many outlets, and so we often have to 
unplug our appliances to make room for others. And our toaster oven is frequently one of the ones that gets unplugged. And so I frequently make the mistake of thinking it has power. And this happens because it's got one of those old school timers that you have to turn and twist. Uh, And so often, if it's plugged in, when you turn it, it turns on the toaster oven. Uh, But a lot of times it's not plugged in. So I do that. And uh, I usually find that my food hasn't been cooking. And again, this is because it doesn't have power. It's not, it's not plugged in. And so even though it appears on the outside to work, it's doing nothing on the inside. And so we see something similar in our text this morning. We see that these false teachers in Colossae, that they were relying on external things to make themselves holy, but they were trying to do so without being plugged into Christ, if you will. And so this leads us to our main idea this morning. So kids, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's going to be my sermon in a sentence. Believer, let no one judge, disqualify, or enslave you by practices that are empty of Christ. So one more time. Believer, let no one judge, disqualify, or enslave you by practices that are empty of Christ. And so we're going to see three points in our text this morning. Again, we're going to see, let no one judge you. We're going to see that in verse 16 and 17. And then second, we're going to see, let no one disqualify you in verses 18 through 19. And then third, we're going to see, let no one enslave you in verses 20 through 23. So again, we have judge, disqualify, and enslave. Well, again, we're going to see this command to let no one judge you in verses 16 and 17. And so notice that verse 16 begins with that, with that word, therefore. And so this text doesn't exist in a vacuum. It, everything that's happening is flowing out of what we saw last week. And so we saw last week that Paul didn't want the Colossians to be deceived. The false teachers in the church wanted them to think that they needed Christ plus these extra practices to be a Christian. And we saw in verses 19 through 15 that the Colossians didn't need these extra practices because they were united to Christ. Because of their union, they were filled in Him. They had died and been buried and raised with Him. And they were now alive in Him. They'd been freed from their bondage. So they didn't need something extra. All that they needed was found in Christ. And so because of this, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you. And so you see, the false teachers were trying to be judges. They were trying to declare who was a Christian and who wasn't a Christian by these external practices. And this is why we can first see that they were passing judgment on others in matters of diet. And so it's likely that they were requiring this church who is made up mostly of probably Gentile believers, they were requiring them to obey the Jewish dietary laws. These dietary laws once marked the Israelites off from the rest of the world. They made them distinct. And yet these false teachers were requiring this church to continue this practice. And so we can also see that they were passing judgment on others in matters of days. And so these days are the Jewish festivals, 
new moons and Sabbaths that are mentioned in verse 16. If you want to go read a chapter of the Bible today that covers all of those things, go read, uh, I think it's Leviticus 23, and I think the other chapter is Numbers 11. But go read those chapters if you want to learn more about those specific holidays. But observing these holidays also marked the Israelites off from the rest of the world. Yet notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 17. He says that these practices were a shadow of the things to come. It's important for us to remember here that a shadow points to something. But a shadow isn't the thing that it's pointing to. And so while these practices were good commands given by God, they were ultimately pointing to a greater reality. These shadows were pointing to the substance. Who is Christ? He's the holy and clean one that the Jewish dietary laws were pointing to. He was the Passover lamb and the atoning sacrifice that these festivals, new moons and Sabbaths, looked forward to. And since Jesus came and fulfilled these laws, there was no more need to observe them. And so going back to these practices is to favor the shadow over the substance. It's to favor the symbol over the thing that the symbol points to. Yet even though these diets and days were shadows of Christ, the false teachers were judging others because they didn't obey them. And by requiring obedience to these shadows, they were in danger of losing the substance. And so while we might not require others to obey these diets and days, what are, what are the things that we judge others for today? Do you judge other believers for, for not having the same political affiliation as you? Or do you think less of other believers for not having the same convictions about matters of, of justice? Do you scoff at other believers who maybe discipline or educate their children differently than you? Or do you dismiss other believers who abstain from food, drinks, and entertainment that you enjoy? Or do you maybe even avoid other believers who enjoy the things that you abstain from? Brothers and sisters, if this is you, then you need to consider if you think that your brothers and sisters need Christ plus your personal convictions and matters of preference or prudential matters. And so don't get me wrong, it's, it's not a bad thing to have convictions. It's not a bad thing to try to per, even persuade others to, to your convictions. And so we want to have godly convictions because we want to obey Christ. And we want to seek to obey Christ's commands and figure out how they apply in our particular circumstances. But we need to be careful in how we apply our convictions on prudential matters to others. And so one of my favorite pastors that I listen to is a brother named Ray Ortland. And when he was asked by several young pastors about what to do for family worship, he quoted Philippians and said, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. I don't know about you, but that's a freeing yet also sobering statement. We have the freedom in Christ to land in different places on a variety of prudential issues, but we need to do so with Bible-bound consciences that desire to bring glory to God. 
So while we might come to different convictions when it comes to politics or justice or parenting or diets, we need to be careful not to judge others who have different convictions from us. Brothers and sisters, this is because our unity as a church is ultimately found in the Christ that we confess. So let's be careful not to empty the gospel we proclaim by making our particular convictions on prudential issues a means of salvation for others. Well, we've seen that we shouldn't let anyone judge us in matters of obedience, but now we'll see Paul's second command, let no one disqualify you. Notice that word disqualify in verse 18. That word in the Greek brings to mind a, a judge over a conference, over a, over a contest. And so you might think of like a, like a referee or an umpire. And so I'm not a huge sports guy, but I did like going to hockey games in college. And so I'd often go see the stars and uh, they had a student deal where you paid $10 and you could sit in like the worst seats that they had. But it was awesome because you were at the hockey game. And at one game, uh, a huge fight broke out, and almost every player got in on the fight. And the referee then had to figure out who was the person that started the fight, and he kicked that guy out of the game. And so he disqualified him from participating. And so similarly, these false teachers were trying to act as spiritual referees. They were trying to disqualify other Christians. But how were they doing this? Well, they were trying to disqualify them according to experience and knowledge. They were insisting that the Colossians practice asceticism. And they were insisting that the Colossians have special experiences worshiping or worshiping with angels. It could, it could mean either of those. And these false teachers were going on in detail about visions that probably gave them what they considered special knowledge. And because of this, they came puffed up like a balloon they were filled with pride, but they were ultimately empty of any substance. And in their pride, they tried to disqualify other believers because they didn't have the same experiences as them, or they didn't have the same special knowledge as them. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching, and you felt disqualified as a Christian in matters of experience and knowledge. Maybe you've doubted your salvation because... You might not have a crazy conversion experience like others you know. Maybe you were converted as a young child and you've seen God persevere you all the way to this time. And that's a good thing. But you might doubt your conversion because you didn't go through things that others might have gone through before they were converted. Or maybe you've doubted that God loves you or that he cares for you because he hasn't told you what to do with your life. He hasn't made it clear what job to take or who to marry, or maybe you felt inadequate as a Christian because you don't know as much about the Bible as others, or maybe you've even felt pushed away from other believers because maybe you don't have the same convictions about with, as them on, on certain theologic, theological matters. Well, brothers and sisters, our qualification as a citizen of the kingdom of God isn't based upon our experience or how much theology we know. We're citizens of the kingdom because we've received Christ by the grace of God. And because we've received Christ, 
we desire to know him through studying his word, through prayer and through fellowshipping with other believers. We also desire to grow in our experience and awareness of his love and mercy towards us. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's a good thing to want the truth of God's word to warm our hearts and affections for him. But we shouldn't desire experiences and knowledge for the sake of being better than others. To do so leads us to being puffed up and not nourished in it together. And this is what Paul is getting at in verse 19. Look at it with me. He says that these false teachers were holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that's from God. So we've seen in Colossians that Christ is the head of the body, which is his church. And it's through Christ that God grows his people, that he, he nourishes them, he knits them together. And so we saw this phrase knit together earlier in Colossians 2.2. That Paul wanted this church to be knit together by their love. Yet a church can't be knit together by love if they're being unwoven by pride. And so brothers and sisters, we can't be a church that looks down at others because they don't know as much theology as we do. We can't be a church that isn't willing to be hospitable towards those who might have different convictions than us in this church. Instead, we, we need to be those who help one another be nourished by Christ. We need to make it our aim to see our church, despite our differences, be knit together in love. Because we ultimately should want to see each other grown and mature in Christ. This is what mature Christians care about. So if you consider yourself to be a mature believer are you helping other believers grow in Christ? Do you make time in your schedule to help others know God and His Word? If not, you, you might consider finding one or two people in our church to start studying the Bible with. Or you might consider trying to find ways to be present in a small group or a group Bible study this fall. Or you might consider having another brother or sister over for lunch or dinner to talk about the sermon or what they've been learning recently. Or maybe you consider yourself to be a younger believer. Maybe you haven't been a Christian for very long. And I would ask, do you, do you have other believers in your life that are helping you learn what it looks like to know and enjoy Jesus? If not, I would encourage you to seek out other brothers and sisters that can walk with you. And so if you don't know how to do this, maybe, maybe you feel awkward doing this, feel free to come talk to me or one of the other elders, or maybe even you might know another member in this church, and just, just ask them, hey, how can, I, how can I get into a relationship that will help me uh, know God's word more? Um, we'd love to help you figure out how to do that. So just feel free to come and ask. Well, we've seen that we shouldn't let anyone disqualify us in matters of experience and knowledge. Finally, we're going to see Paul's third command in our passage. Let no one enslave you. So look with me at verse 20. Notice that Paul brings up these elemental spirits again. So we saw in our passage last week that these elemental spirits were, were demonic powers. And their desire and goal is to lead people 
away from Christ. And they often do this within the church by making us think that we need Christ plus something else. But notice that Paul says that we've died to the elemental spirits of the world. If we've been made alive in Christ, then we don't have to submit to the elemental spirits and the empty regulations that they want us to put on ourselves. So while they once bound us, we're now free in Christ. Yet notice what was happening in this church. Even though they were free in Christ, they were submitting to regulations that they didn't need to. They were acting like prisoners that had been freed, but still wanted to live in their cell. And even worse, these false teachers were probably trying to use these practices to mark off who they thought the real Christians were. But what were these practices? We see in the the text that this practice was asceticism. We brought that up earlier in our last point. But asceticism is like an extreme form of spiritual discipline. It, It seeks to refrain from certain things with the aim of trying to reach some type of new spirituality. And that's why we see Paul in verse 21 quoting the false teachers when he says, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And this was probably dealing with the Jewish dietary laws that we saw earlier in our passage. But look at the foolishness of their practices in verse 22. They were trying to find spiritual value and refraining from certain foods and drinks, which are things that perish. And they might have thought that, like the Pharisees, that certain foods would defile them. Yet, if you remember Jesus' words in Mark 7, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Which means that food isn't the issue. A sick heart is the issue. And furthermore, these practices weren't consistent with the tradition that had been taught to them, that had been handed down by Jesus to his apostles, to Epaphras, and then to the Colossians. And so they were being enslaved to their own man-made rules. And this is why Paul goes on to say in verse 23 that these practices can't stop the indulgence of the flesh. They're empty of any power. They're like my toaster oven that appears to be on but isn't plugged in. While they might have appeared to be godly on the outside, their aesthetic practices ultimately puffed them up with pride. You see, stopping the indulgence of the flesh isn't just about doing the right things outwardly. It's also about doing the right things with the right motives inwardly. And so, brothers and sisters, if we trust in our own rules and regulations then we too will be puffed up with pride. And while we might appear godly on the outside, we'll be an empty, prideful mess on the inside. So again, don't hear me wrong. It's not a bad thing to refrain from certain things or situations that could tempt us to sin. But our righteous isn't found in what we choose to refrain from or not refrain from. Our righteousness is found in Christ. He's the one who heals our sick hearts. And so, Christian, have you come in here this morning 
feeling enslaved to your own sin or being enslaved to regulations that you've put on yourself? And are you weary from trying to put your sin to death in your own power? Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that you're not alone in that. That I often feel like I need to set new rules and regulations on myself. I often think that if I just spend less time watching TV, or if I spend less time on social media, then I'll feel less anxious. I often think that if I just went to bed earlier, then I'd be less irritable with my wife. And so while trying to do things, aren't, those aren't bad things, I often treat them as a substitute for coming to Christ. That in my pride, it often feels easier to just create new rules in my own strength than to first go to Christ and ask for his strength. And if I'm honest, I believe often that coming to him won't fix the issue. So Father, forgive me for my pride. But brothers and sisters, this way of thinking couldn't be farther from the truth. That if you're in Christ, then you're part of his body. And Christ delights in healing, in strengthening his hands and feet when they're weary and needy. And so brothers and sisters, if this is you, then come once again to Christ. Draw near to him to find the strength that you need. In him there are treasures of infinite knowledge and wisdom, and they're yours because you've been filled in Christ. They're yours because you've been united to him, and they're yours because you're alive in him. And so we can't expect to stop the indulgence of the flesh if we're not plugged into Christ. We don't have the power to do this in our own strength. But in him, we have all of the resources that we need. So brothers and sisters, come to him for strength. He's gentle and lowly, meaning that he's approachable. And so let's go to his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Well, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I wonder what you think when you hear this language, this this coming to Jesus language. Maybe you feel that you're too far gone Maybe, is it, maybe you feel as if you've sinned too much and that there's no way that God could forgive you. And you wonder why Jesus would take in someone like you. Or maybe you've been under the impression that God, if, if he's real, then he's probably generally okay with you. You think you don't need to come to Jesus because you try to be a nice person. You don't indulge yourself too much. You refrain from things that are generally considered to be wrong. But friend, regardless of what you think about yourself, let me encourage you to see yourself in light of God's word. That we were all created to love and obey God, yet we've rebelled against him. We've decided to make our own rules and in doing so, make much of ourselves. Because we've rebelled against God, We deserve the wages of our rebellion, the wages of our sin, which is death. Yet God 
is abundantly gracious to us despite our rebellion. He's provided a way for us to be reconciled to him through his eternal son, Jesus Christ. And this Jesus left his throne in heaven to take on flesh. And he lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father that you and I couldn't live. And he also bore the wrath of God that you and I deserved on the cross. But God raised him from the dead and he now reigns at the right hand of God. And he'll one day return to judge all of those who have rebelled against him. But he will rule and reign with those who have trusted in him as their Lord. And so friend, if you trust in Christ today, then you'll be considered righteous before God on that day. And every sin that you've committed will be forgiven. And so you might think that you have too much sin. But listen to this. God has infinite grace to lavish upon you in Christ. But if you continue to cling to your own works, to cling to your own obedience, to cling to your own experiences and knowledge and regulations, then you will not be forgiven in Christ. And you won't be able to stand before him righteous on that day. So friend, turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Come to him and be surprised by his kindness. Come delight in his love. Come to Jesus weak and needy and throw yourself at the foot of his cross and find grace. He'll take you in and he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll free you from your bondage to the ways of this world. He'll give you a new heart and a new spirit that desires to follow him. He'll give you the strength that you need to persevere to the end. But listen to this, best of all, he'll give you himself. So friend, trust in Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's pray.